Welcome back to the Film Review Shack. He's Daniel. And he's Darian. This week, we'll be breaking down and reviewing two iconic mob movies, Goodfellas and The Godfather. First up, we're going to dive into Goodfellas. Goodfellas is a 1990 mafia crime film directed by Martin Scorsese. The film had a budget of $25 million while grossing $47 million. To kick us off with the acting here, I'm going to start by talking about Ray Liotta and his performance in this film. I really enjoyed it. I think it's very well written and very well paced. In the beginning, we see him start to adapt to this new life that he's becoming a part of. And then in the middle act, he becomes more and more intense. And then finally, in the end, we see how he adapts to life outside of the game and how he protects himself and his family. Yeah, I think Ray gives a great performance in this movie. I think he's so perfect for the role. It's kind of difficult to picture anyone else doing this role but him. And in particular, I really like his voiceover work. I think he does a really good job of keeping it monotone enough that it's consistent throughout the movie, but still has a good amount of expression in his voice and in the way that he's delivering these voiceovers. And I think it really adds to the movie, his voiceovers, how he tackles them. Absolutely. I quite enjoyed the narration that is in the film. You know, it plays on a separate track the whole way throughout. And I feel that it actively progresses the plot of the film very efficiently. And I think it actually does a better job than it would have if it were to have just been the dialogue and transitions the whole time. Now, to talk about Robert De Niro. I also love his performance throughout this entire film. I think he has such a terrifying persona in the film, and it all really never lets up, not even for a moment at any point in the film. Regardless of what scenario he was in, there's always that sense of him being terrifying. Yeah, and I think it's another case where De Niro is just so perfect for this role, and you can see all the little things that De Niro has become so famous for are pivotal in this movie. And the way that he portrays his character, like you're saying, it's terrifying throughout the whole film and it's consistent throughout the whole film until maybe a little bit in the end. He still has the mannerisms and the way that he carries himself that's consistent throughout the whole film and it's just very pivotal to his character's personality. Yeah, he always delivers regardless of what role it is he's being casted in. Once again, not an exception in this film. Now, final of the big three actors in this film, of course, being Joe Pesci, winning an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for this film. I think one of my favorite acting performances in a film ever. Uh, He very cleverly crosses the line between intense and funny so well. There are times where he is so likable, and then there's times where he's so evil and so soulless. And it's just really interesting to see the dynamic of how he goes back and forth as the film carries on. Yeah, I think it comes down to a lot to his character as well. I, I found this character, it's such a prick of a character and such, as you're saying, kind of soulless and evil at times. Joe Pesci does such a great job in the, the performance and in that character's role. It, even to me, it was so annoying at times because he was so good and I actually developed feelings of anger towards the character for being who the character was because Joe Pesci was doing such a great job at conveying how mean and malice this character was. Mm-hmm. 100%. I do find that the character and Joe Pesci's performance does kind of change because there's a big time gap in this movie and the character matures throughout the movie and Joe Pesci's role and his performance, it kind of changes a little bit and that annoying part for me kind of fades away as the movie goes on because the character still has that evil and soulless feel but is somehow more intelligent in the way that he goes about it. So the character becomes less annoying and just more scary. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Now, to get into the screenplay, we already touched a bit on the voiceover that Ray Liotta gives throughout this movie, and I think it's such an interesting storytelling device, and it really separates this movie from lots of other mafia movies. It's as if the voiceover is telling you the exact same stuff that's going on in the screen, but in a different way, and what's going on in the screen is different from what exactly the voiceover is telling you, and it's this really convincing way of telling story because you get an example and told at the same time, so you're kind of delivering story twice in the same moment, and I find it's very effective and it really helps drive the story, especially when it's got so much going on and there's so many different things that you need to know as the viewer. Definitely. I think it helps, like I said before, to keep you engaged the whole way through. Um, To touch a little bit on the structure of the film, I quite enjoyed the pacing that they used all the way through. Although it is a very long movie, I feel that it is very fitting as there's a long period of time that is portrayed on the film. Uh, You kind of see the whole majority of Henry Hill's life, so it starts at his younger years, and then it gets older and older and the time progresses, and it never becomes less engaging for me at any point in the film. How about you? I agree. I really like the pace of this movie and how everything plays out. I think the structure is so interesting because for the first hour of this movie, it's all backstory. It's all exposition. You don't actually get the inciting incident in this movie until after that all happens. So essentially, you start off in this scene, then we cut back for an hour, and then we come back to the scene. And then after that scene's over, we get the inciting incident of introducing the girlfriend and the other conflicts that arise after that. But I think it still follows a three-act structure because because you have then that act where it introduces the conflict and then a third act. So you still get that three-act structure, but it's very interesting because the main story doesn't really start happening until an hour into the movie. The first hour is kind of just to get you to know the characters, and I think it's really clever of Scorsese to do that because you really get to feel for the characters, and you really have an immense understanding of the dynamic between all the different characters to set up this conflict and that helps it unfold so much more and there's less information that you have to be giving while the conflict's unfolding for the viewer to understand. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I uh, actually interpret it a little bit differently uh, as opposed to where the inciting incident lays and all that. For me, I agree with you where you say it's really to introduce you to the characters and you get to know them. But for me, the inciting incident is him becoming involved with all the parties within uh, the mafia, essentially. Because for me, it just plays like a story that keeps unfolding and unfolding with every conflict that arises, every event that happens after place all stems from him becoming a part of this. At least that's how I felt with it. But who knows? Well, no, I definitely, I can see what you're saying there. It's kind of because it's kind of two stories that happen. You kind of have all the setup and that's one story. And then you have the conflict and that unfolding of the drugs and all that. So it's kind of like there are two inciting incidences in, in this movie. The one that kicks off everything, which you're saying when he gets involved with the mafia. And then again, later in the movie where it kicks off the girlfriends and the drugs, there's kind of a, like a 10 minute scene there kind of kicks off all the conflict that happens in the movie. So it's kind of interesting the way that the story's told. It's almost like you're telling two different stories. Yeah, definitely. Another aspect I like about this film in regard to the screenplay was the dialogue and some of the selection that Scorsese and the writers used to use in the film. I think it adds quite a bit to the film. Instead of having very ordinary characters that are just in the movie to be in the situation, that is what the storyline of the film is about. You have characters like Tommy who speak in a very unique way and they add comedy to the film with that. You know, he's really a funny guy. 
Yeah, I think the dialogue in this movie is so well thought out, and do, they do a great job of separating it for each character, giving them all their own personality. Like, you have De Niro as well, has a very specific way that he gives all his lines, and it could possibly come down to the way that the actors are so great at being individuals and portraying the specific characteristics that their characters have. But overall, I totally agree. The dialogue in this movie adds so much. It's so well written, so well thought out. And it just really makes the experience as a viewer so much better. And another little piece of the structure that I want to talk on is at the end of the movie, one of the last scenes when Henry Hill breaks the fourth wall. I think it's so apt for this movie and it's such a great way to finish it up because you've got kind of the two storytelling techniques throughout this movie of the visuals and the voiceover, kind of both giving you everything. And then in the end, it brings it all together. You have this fourth wall break where it's kind of like the voiceover is talking to you, but it's just a fourth wall break where the character is talking directly to the camera. And I think it's a perfect way to wrap up this whole movie and as well to just kind of kick off the denouement of the movie. Yeah, I think it was a really interesting shot and a nice little piece for them to add at the film to kind of bring everything together. Now, speaking of the shots, let's get into the cinematography. I think this movie does an excellent job at telling story through camera work. I think it has a great choice of size throughout the movie. There's lots of good points where they tighten up for more intense scenes, widen out for more of establishing shots, and then also make some really interesting artistic choices with that as well. And like, there's one scene where Henry's taking the gun away from his wife after she has it in her face. It stays as a wide shot. And I think that's a really interesting choice that they make. As well, I think there's lots of good tracking shots where they're moving throughout locations, throughout environments, and the pans and tilts that they use are great devices for storytelling, especially the pans where they're panning back and forth between things happening in the scene. I think they do a wonderful job of that. And as well, they use some zoom shots, which are really cool. But overall, I think just really tight storytelling and everything that they do from movement to static shots, it's all in the name of telling more story. And I think it's tremendous how they chose to do everything. Yeah, I'm going to touch upon one of the points you brought up briefly there, and that was the zoom-ins that they use in the film. Again, another great selection they decided to make. Uh, There were some sequences where they used some slow-motion zoom-ins for more casual scenes, but still to have a powerful effect, and some that were much more rapid, and they made for some intense sequences. Yeah, like you can see, even in zoom-ins, there's a great distinction of how they tell story with it. They're not all just the same, okay, let's just zoom in here for the sake of zooming in. If it's a zoom, there needs to be a purpose for that zoom. And like you're saying, there's some for more casual stuff and some to create more intensity. Absolutely. And speaking a bit of the camera movement, I really loved the scenes where you're going through the environment and it's a long take, just kind of following everyone around. And they do that in every new environment that the movie has. And it does a really great job of setting the atmosphere, setting the environment and It's very interesting to watch as well. They're so complex, so much setup that's needed. They're incredible just to think about how much effort went into creating these shots. Of course, it's a great device for storytelling, like every other shot in this movie, because it shows you the environment, and it's really great for the time changes in this movie. For one example, the house, it changes throughout the era. So every time we're in a new era in Henry's house, we have a long shot that kind of goes through at least one or two of the rooms, and it just establishes that this is a new era, this is a new house, this is what the aesthetic is for that. And they do that a bunch throughout the movie, and I think it really adds a lot, and it's really great 
great use of these long unbroken takes even though maybe they didn't have to do it it just it adds so much more and it makes it so much more interesting to watch yeah i totally agree with you there uh like we discussed earlier the pacing of the film plays so well and same thing the camera and what the camera is showing you also plays you get a lot of differences as the film progresses through the various times that take place in the movie I found even with certain references that are made throughout the film kind of reflect the times that are living on to you got some songs that are playing in the background of the film, some pop culture references being placed throughout, and they really differentiate the times that are represented in the movie. Yeah, they do a great job separating the times, and we'll touch a little bit more on that once we get to the soundtrack. But before that, I want to juxtapose our talking about movement with the talking about static shots in this film and in particularly how they do coverage i think they do such a great job in coverage in this movie and they match shots so well there's a lot of scenes where they've kind of got a medium shot and it's cutting back and forth over the shoulder and they're matched so well it's almost like it's a smash cut where you're going from one thing and then to another thing that looks the exact same but it's it's just coverage and that aesthetic it just makes it so much more pleasing to watch because the framing isn't changing and it just bounces so effortlessly between the two characters or the two groups or whatever and speaking of that, bouncing between, the way that they use over-the-shoulder shots I think is very impressive in this movie. Specifically, they're dirty over-the-shoulder shots. It's really cool. There's a couple times in the movie where they're framing for the character that's in the foreground, who is, it's like their shoulder and head, but it's framed for them, so it still gives you this at this feeling that they're there and they're a major part of this scene, even though it's a different person talking. The funny guy scene is a great example. They're kind of a wide over-the-shoulder shot where it's framed up for the group that's closer to the camera. And it really gives you this interesting feel of that group watching the other group say what they're saying or Joe Pesci's character in this specific instance. And I think it's a really cool choice that they make and it, it adds a lot to those over-the-shoulder shots. Mm-hmm. Such a special scene for, I think, various purposes as well because I'm going to dive into another little topic here. That's the lighting. And I also picked up the scene as an example. They're at the restaurant. Henry and Tommy are getting into it over their little what's so funny about me argument. Uh, and you have these lights that are at each of the tables and they're these little lamp lights. And you can see how there are so many around the room and how they are lighting up the whole room and it's really nicely done. Yeah, for sure. That's another scene that I had picked out for the lighting as well. I think throughout the movie, there's great lighting. That one is great. I was just saying all those practical little lights that really set the atmosphere and light up the whole scene. And as well in that scene, there's a red light that kind of just covers everything. And it's, it's an interesting choice to kind of separate the environment from everything else by having this red ambiance going on. And I also think there's lots of points where they have good dramatic lighting as well. One example that comes to mind is the poker game when Tommy shoots the young bartender. That light that's hanging over top, it, again, it's a practical, just like the lamps on the table in the restaurant. And that practical light over the poker table, it casts these really cool shadows and it blocks out in the right ways. And I think it adds a really cool aesthetic to that scene and it really helps differentiate the poker table from the rest of the atmosphere in that scene where the young bartender is. Yeah, absolutely. It almost gives two different moods to the two different scenarios that these two different groups of people are in. Absolutely. Yeah, and like you're saying, that separates the two people. It's a great storytelling technique as well. 
Okay, so now to touch on the wardrobe a little bit, I thought they do a really good job in this movie, even though everyone has similar wardrobes, of still separating each of the character and giving them their own styles. And at the same time, when everyone does need to be the same and seem like they're a group, they do a good job of distinguishing that and keeping it separate from when they need to be separate characters. For example, there's one scene earlier in the movie, but kind of it's when Ray Liotta's in the movie and he's he's grown up, where Polly has a guy come in to meet him and Ray is there with him. And each of these characters need to feel like they're separate and they're separate points in their life. So even though we've seen Henry already in a suit, in this scene he's in street clothes and Polly is in the regular mafia suit and the guy that he brings in is in a different kind of suit not as dressed up as the mafia guys and so for that example there's a really good distinction between all these different characters even though they're all kind of the same group of people yeah that's a very interesting point on how they show their differences in the beginning of the film you know you've got some that are full mafia and they're dressed for it some that are kind of just starting to get into it but not fully there like you said the guy that's not as dressed up and then henry who's not quite at the same level as those two guys now to get into the soundtrack i think there were some very big and popular songs that were played throughout the film and i'm glad they made the decision to use those songs uh there's one scene where sunshine of your love by cream is playing and i saw in an interview actually where barnes scorsese was writing the script and he had insisted that it had to be this song to play on the screen at this moment and i don't know what about it works so well but it really does and it's such a great background song and piece for this scene to be playing Yeah, it makes sense that Scorsese was so demanding for that to be the song because I find all the songs in this movie do such a great job at being descriptive for what's going on. And they really match well with the action that's going on on screen. A couple examples that I can think of are at the start of the movie when the song Rags to Riches is playing. That's the story that's being told at the time and it matches it perfectly. And then later on in the movie when the girlfriends are introduced, you have the song Pretend You Don't See Her, which again matches up exactly with how the story needs to be told and the psyche that Henry is in at the time. All right, now to get into a rating of the film... I'm going to kick things off here. I think my favorite mafia film of all time. Such a great picture all in all. I'm going to give this one the same as my two films last week. I'm going to give this one eight and a half. Nice. I think that's a good rating. I'm going to stay along the same vein. I think this is an incredible example of storytelling. And I love this movie. I think it's great. It does have its quirks, so I'm not going to go as high as a 10, but I'm going to go with a 9.5 on this. I think it's it's an incredible example of storytelling, and that's what movies are all, all about. So I got to give it a really high score. Alrighty, well, that is our review of Goodfellas. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and review The Godfather. Before we get into The Godfather... We would like to remind everyone about our new variety show. You can catch it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and you can catch the video format on YouTube. And we're back. We are now going to dive into The Godfather. The Godfather is a 1972 mafia crime film directed by Francis Ford Coppola. The film had a budget of $6 million dollars and roped in a whopping $270 million at the box office. Wow. It's crazy. It's got to be up there for the best ratio for budget to earnings. Could be. To get into the acting, we can start things off by talking about Marlon Brando, 
Marlon Brando won an Academy Award for his portrayal of Vito Corleone in this film, but personally, I don't think there was any part that stood out to me of his acting in this film that I would deem as outstanding. I know you're probably going to disagree with me, but that's just my take on that. Well, I wouldn't fully disagree with you. It does kind of seem like it's a bit of a, a strange Academy Award to give to him because it's not a super diverse role. I'm not sure what the other nominees were that year, but I can definitely say that there's better acting just in general. But I do like the character and Marlon Brando's acting. I think Marlon brings a certain level of mystery to the character that helps develop that character's personality, but not not a ton on my my side to comment on, but I wouldn't say he did a bad job, I, and I thought he gave the, the character a certain personality that worked well for the movie. Yeah, I think he played the situation fairly well, but I think with most Oscar-winning performances, you can see a great level of outstanding acting, and I just don't think he hit the mark for that one for me. Yeah, that must have been a weak year for actors. Be my guess. Now, to get to Al Pacino. Personally, I actually quite enjoyed his performance in this film. I think in a similar manner to... The character, Henry Hill from Goodfellas, you really see the transformation of Michael's character and how he adapts to every change that is going on around him and everything that he goes through throughout the film. Yeah, for sure. There's a great change in this character, and that's kind of the the whole emphasis of this movie is is Al Pacino and the character Michael's progression throughout. And I, I really enjoy Al Pacino's portrayal of this character. I think he does a really good job of not giving too much because the character is pretty reserved and it's tough, or at least in my perspective, to kind of understand what the character's thinking because of the way Al Pacino kind of gives similar expressions for a lot of it. But in the same way, he also gives a lot of emotion in the context of how that character would give the emotion. And I think a big part of that are his eyes and how he uses his eyes. It's just phenomenal. You can really get the emotion through the way that Al Pacino looks at the other characters or the way that he's looking down or something like that. I think his eyes really are windows into that character's personality and that character's emotions. Now, to get into the screenplay and the story and the structure, this movie is definitely more typical of your three-act structure. It definitely has a more typical structure, and I think it uses it really well. Kind of similar to Goodfellas, it does have a long first act as it takes a while to get to know the family, but I think it does some very clever things. Like, for example, the wedding is one of the first scenes in this movie, and it really does a great job of bringing all the characters together. You get a great feel of who each character is, is how they all interact together and I think that's a great way to establish the scene and all these characters and then as well it kind of introduces this two-faced concept that I find carries throughout the whole film because you have the wedding that's going on outside and then inside you have the Don and his dealings that's happening and you're cutting back and forth between them and it really not only is establishing the characters but it's establishing that there's two sides to this family there's a public side that is the wedding and then there's a dark side of the crime which is inside the office and that two-facedness that carries throughout the whole movie there's some some great scenes that demonstrate it but of course i think the most poignant scene that demonstrates that is the baptism scene at the end which is super famous for its use of juxtaposition and it kind of wraps up that that storyline of the characters being two-faced because you get that juxtaposition of okay they're the good inside the church and then they're doing the bad outside which is the opposite 
of the start of the movie where the bad happens inside and the good happens outside. So this scene kind of says it's all mixed now. There's there's no line for this family between when they're good and when they're bad. It's all kind of this melange of good and bad, more on the bad side because what's happening inside the church has this menacing feeling to it, which kind of makes it feel like both of these things are bad that are happening. Yeah, that's interesting. I like the way that you put that. Good job. Now I'll chime in a little bit about my thoughts on the screenplay here, which you might not like as much. I thought the concept of The Godfather is really unique, and of course it coming from a novel, but I didn't personally like the execution that it followed as far as the movie goes. Like we mentioned before, it's an extremely long movie, and you do have the parts in the beginning of the film where you're getting to know the characters, they're all together, you see the interactions there. But it just loses me, and I don't think there's any points that really become interesting enough for it to pick it back up for me. And that just kind of makes the whole film less interesting. Yeah, I definitely, I see where you're coming from there. It's a pretty slow-paced film, for sure. And so you definitely can, can kind of get lost because there's not a ton of conflict and action going on. And that kind of brings me to another point, is that there's not a lot of conflict in this movie necessarily, in sense of what drives the story. It's much more character-driven. It's much more about Michael's character arc and giving him that full arc from being this innocent military man to becoming a dangerous Don and being this vicious, brutal man. And so you kind of have these things that happen in the movie they don't really have impact further down the line. They're more just there to affect the Michael character. So that a lot of this movie doesn't feel like it's got high stakes and it paces itself slowly because it's got so much to cover, so many things that need to happen to Michael, that it's very easy to get lost because there's not one conflict that carries your interest all the way through. Yeah, and with everything you just said, it's hard for events like that to really help the story move forward if you're sticking to one character, one ideal. For the whole film, it's hard to follow along with that. Touching back just on the end of the movie there and that baptism scene, it's very interesting because it's kind of the end of the movie. You can even say it's kind of the denouement of the movie, even though there is some stuff that happened afterwards that's really the true denouement. But I just find it interesting the way that they wrap the movie up by creating more intensity and adding more stakes while they're wrapping up everything. I think it's just it's a very interesting way of finishing the story, kind of being the, the most exciting part of the story. Yeah, I just think that intensity was two, two and a half hours late. Yeah, it's a very slow build to that point. And one final thing about the storytelling that I found to be fun about this movie and how it differs from Goodfellas is this movie is really told through the visuals. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie and there's no dialogue to go along with it, but they're really important things towards the story of this movie. And it's all happening through the visuals and through the camera. And I find that's a really interesting way of telling story. And I really enjoyed how they used it in this, this movie. I could agree with that. I'll give it that much. And speaking of the visuals, let's get into the cinematography. Just like Goodfellas, I think this movie does an exceptional job at telling story through the camera work. Different from Goodfellas, though, I think this movie really just gives you what you need. It doesn't add any extra camera movement or any extra stuff that's more for the, the aesthetic. It's really just, this is what you need to see right now, so this is what we're going to show you. And they just pick the best shots for showing that on screen. And I really like how they have a lot of interesting storytelling techniques in the camera work, but they don't overuse it. 
for example, one of them techniques that they use is cutting off the looking room. And we've watched lots of movies that have a lot of shots where they cut off the looking room. And this movie uses it very seldom. And I think it really helps drive home the point when they do use it. For example, there's one scene where Michael is talking with his girlfriend in the hotel room and they cut off Michael's looking room for one of his segments of lines. And that's one of the only points where they really use it. And it's really impactful. And you really feel like there's something going on with this character because it's shot differently than the rest of the movie. Similarly, the way that they use dolly in and dolly out shots, that one they use a little bit more in the movie. For example, one of the opening scene, actually the very first shot in the movie is this long dolly out. And they use it at a couple other points in the movie and it really helps build intensity in this these very impactful moments. And because they don't use it, all the time in the movie, it really separates those scenes from the rest of the cinematography and really helps drive home that this is an important scene and this is going to be really impactful for the movie. Yeah, definitely. I just spoke about not being engaged with the whole film, but I think this is one aspect that does help to engage even slightly. Like you just mentioned, it strays away from the typical cinematography that's played through the whole film. And so it gives it a unique feel to add to the content of the movie. And just one more thing about the camera work before we move on to the lighting part of the cinematography is their use of over-the-shoulder shots is great. There's lots of movies use them, but this movie, I really like how they use these clean reverse angles where you don't have any of the shoulder or any of the other characters in it. And I really like how they use it because it gives an isolating feel to the character when they're in just a clean one shot especially when you compare that to the rest of the movie with all these other dirty shots. And it's just like the the dolly-ins and dolly-outs. It adds a point where you're like, okay, this is different. This is something that's more important. And it helps the viewer understand that there's a different feel to this scene or this shot. But still, overall, just throughout the whole film, I really enjoy all the cinematography in the camera work. And it's very aesthetically pleasing and really technically tight. Yeah, you make some good points. Uh, one thing I want to touch on is the lighting. Personally, I really enjoyed the lighting, even right from the beginning of the film. Uh, once again, it does a great job at setting the mood. There are some sequences where it's cutting back and forth, and you had mentioned this a little bit uh, from the story side of things, but I'm going to touch from it on the lighting. Uh, back and forth from inside the house and outside of the wedding. And of course, inside of the wedding, the lighting is bright, you're outside, everyone's happy, they're having a good time a positive thing going on and then it cuts back to inside and the circumstances inside with him are dark and of course the lighting is dark to match yeah and i think throughout this film they do such a great job of that dramatic dark lighting i really really enjoyed the lighting in this film i think it's my favorite aspect of the film one thing that i think they do exceptionally maybe better than any other movie i've seen is the use of shadows and the use of negative fill. And I think it really gives a different feel to the movie because they're not afraid to not have their characters lit and use their silhouette as a point of emphasis. And yeah, it's just really aesthetically pleasing to watch with all these complex lighting setups where there's only light on half of an actor's face and maybe it's on the backside of them or just the way that they block out the light to shape it the way that they want is really really well done in my opinion and totally adds another element to the story really helps with the storytelling in general and i think this movie would have been totally different if they went with a more high key lighting setup 
I also really love their choice of color in the light. There's a lot of points where they use this yellow tungsten light, especially a lot indoors, which makes sense because that was the lights that they had at the time. But it really helps when you juxtapose that with the whiter lights that they're using for outdoor scenes or for some of the other scenes where the light makes sense to be different. Because that yellow light is used for so many of the scenes where it's either in the Don's office or in the the house with the rest of the family, it kind of separates when the family is being evil and when they're not. A great example of this, I think, is one of the final scenes, the baptism scene. That church, it's all in yellow light. And then when you cut away, for the first few cutaways, it's white light. But then once the murders start going down, that light, even in the cutaways, changes back to yellow. So you get this kind of yellow theme throughout the movie that kind of represents when bad things are going down. I think a great way to see this from the other side is in the hospital, there's a lot of white light. And even though bad things had the potential of going down in the hospital, nothing actually went down in the hospital. There was no one that came in to try and kill the Don. It ended up all being all right. So they used this white light to kind of give you the feel that there isn't actually that much of a danger here that didn't need to be as intense and as evil feeling as the rest of the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. They, like mentioned before, do a great job at that. The lighting really set the mood and it totally plays to the audience in a major way. For sure. I really find the wardrobe in this movie does a great job at separating all the characters right from the get-go. You have all of the family in these dark suits, and that stays the same throughout the whole movie. And if you're in a dark suit, that means you're a mobster, you're a bad guy. And at the start of the movie, we have some characters that aren't in dark suits, one being Michael. He's in his military uniform, which clearly distinguishes him from the rest of the family, making him seem like an outsider because that's what he was at the time. And you have Johnny, who's in a white suit, which helps distinguish him from Michael and from the rest of the family because he is their public person kind of their white knight, if you say. And then how the costumes change throughout the movie, specifically with Michael, really helps show his character progression. As soon as he gets a bit more wrapped up into the family, he starts dressing in suits, but not right away in the dark suit that's related to the rest of the mobsters. It's not really until he's about to make that first kill, the double kill, that he starts wearing these darker suits. And then, of course, as soon as he gets back in America, he's gone full godfather. He's in the suit. He's got the hat. And then we find out very soon that he is leading the family and he is obviously the main guy. And I find when that happens, it's very interesting to see that Don Corleone doesn't have a suit on anymore. Now he's in these gray street clothes, which kind of signify that he's stepped down. He's not really the bad guy anymore. He's almost like he's not a member of the family, even though obviously he still is, but it just gives him this separate feel and really helps show that Al Pacino and the character Michael has taken over. Yeah, it's an interesting feature that helps to match the progression of the characters changed throughout the film. Of course, Michael being the prime example. Now to get into the score, I think this movie had a great score and greatly composed songs. That opening theme amazing uh of course the theme being the godfather theme is probably one of the most recognizable songs i think in any film as far as a song being in a film not hit songs that happen to be in films later as soon as you hear it you know exactly where it's from super iconic 
and has a great effect. Yeah, I think that song specifically is so impactful throughout the movie because they kind of use it as a motif. Whenever there's something bad about to happen or something bad is happening, they use the Godfather song from the beginning in the kind of in a small trumpet kind of in the background and it really helps give the viewer that mood that there's something bad happening. And I think funny enough, there's some points in the movie where they don't use it even though there's something bad happening. And it kind of gives you this feel that, okay, this isn't so bad. Maybe this actually isn't bad for the Corleone family. And that's why we don't need to have the same feel here as we did in other points in the movie. I think it's interesting use of that song and the use of that motif. Yeah, it's another good little feature that they have something that's pretty small, but still noticeable enough for you to pick up on throughout the film and add something as an audience member for this film. That is our review of The Godfather. Daniel, why don't you kick us off with a rating? I would love to. I think this is a tremendous movie. Awesome storytelling, great cinematography, great wardrobe, great acting. Everything in this movie is really great. You know, it's it's a long movie, but I still really enjoyed it. And I think it actually helps being longer because they're able to tell more story and be more detailed. So I'm going to go with the maximum score. I'm going to give this a 10. Well, there you have it. Daniel's second perfect movie in his eyes. So, for me to kick off the rating, I think everybody can tell we weren't on the same page reviewing this for the most part. So, unfortunately, I'm going to go to 7.5 today. Well, that wraps things up for today. Thanks for tuning in. Come back every week for a new episode of the Film Review Shack. Signing out. I'm Daniel. I'm Darian. And we are the, the Film, Film Review Shack. Review Shack.